0: Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart.
1: Welcome, listeners. Well, we have an incredible lineup today. Like We have some very interesting people and very interesting projects. Well, we
2: kind of have a yin and yang thing going on right now, right? We have fitness and we have investing.
1: And then we have a couple of incredible pitches. (laughs) But to start now, we have somebody who is actually a celebrity fitness trainer. This guy goes and tells celebrities what to do.
3: (laughs) How's that working for you, Walter? (laughs) Um, I'm here.
1: His name is Walter Kemp, and he's going to talk about how he got
3: there. Um, hey, guys. My name is Walter Kemp. Uh, most people call me the booty builder. <laughs> <laughs> I need that. <laughs> How does that work? Huh? <laughs> well, I think I got a name because in most of my classes, there are a million squats. And I secretly put oh. them in there. Um, so you always Everybody's leave Everybody's groaning
2: already. No,
3: yeah. no, 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 no. You'll love it later. Trust me. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. So I started my journey about 10 years ago with myself. I used to be 250 pounds. Um,
2: wow. You look great. check walter out on instagram because he definitely
3: looks a lot skinnier now and if you
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's all those squats
3: (laughs) clearly it's all the squats but i was 250 pounds when i moved to the city um and one of the best advice i ever got was work on the messenger before you work on the message so i decided to go on my own fitness journey and throughout that time i lost over 100 pounds at that point, I decided to train family members. My mother, she lost 70 pounds. My grandmother, she then lost weight. And then I was like, oh. But your
1: grandmother lost weight?
3: My grandmother, <laughs> who's about, right now, I think, oh, I don't think she's ever told me her real age, so I'm not sure.
1: But she's certainly over 50.
3: She's certainly <laughs> over 60, because she's been 62 for about seven years. Now, oh, wait wow. a
2: minute. I, I really, wow. since I'm approaching grand age, I would like to know, what do you do with a, an older person who wants to lose weight?
3: Um... My advice to anyone is honestly to just keep moving, to keep moving, no matter what it is. You can stand in place for 55 minutes and do uh, jumping jacks, you know, and you're going to burn a lot of calories. But the trick is to keep moving. And I think we had a conversation earlier and you guys asked me, what was the key? Like, how did I lose so much weight? And it was really consistency. It was really just about not stopping, not giving up, but forward movement.
1: So that is kind of the Rule for everything in life if you want to be successful, right?
3: Right. Keep
2: moving. And no napping during
3: workouts. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) No napping. So
1: you went from grandma...
3: Then I went from grandma back to myself and um, I I then felt like I had a mission. I'm like, okay, I I did this for myself and I didn't only change my body, I changed my mindset. I started to think differently. It was the first time that I started to really love myself and that's when I knew that it was much bigger than fitness. It was about making people believe in themselves enough to change their physical incapabilities um at that point i got hired at a studio called 305 fitness in new york city which is a cardio fitness studio from that point i got hired for obey which is a live streaming company then um i kind of knew that i had something to do i knew that it was much bigger than myself and those two studios and i started to reach out to people and people started to find me on instagram and ask for help personally and Now I'm
2: here. That's great. So there are so many fitness trainers out there. Mm -hmm. How do you distinguish yourself to get to this level?
3: Um, Love. (laughs) Um, You must love what you do. In order to be great at anything, you must uh, like really, really love it, and people can tell if you enjoy what you do. And I think that is what sets me apart from other fitness instructors: is that I love what I do, and because of my love and my passion, it kind of distracts you from the fact that you're doing burpees or push-ups. <laughs> yeah. So you're actually Thank having a lot for of those fun, distractions. <laughs> yeah. right? And the funny thing is, I was compared to Richard Simmons a lot because I have such a big personality, and my classes are so much fun that people forget that they're even working out.
2: So what do you say during the classes? We were talking about this beforehand, and
3: I asked you to, like, <laughs> to do a 10-second mini class. Can you do that for us? A 10-second mini class. All right, let's start with my intro. My intro is, what's up, guys? My name is Walter Kemp, and this is your 28-minute booty building workout. For the next 28 minutes, you're going to need a mat, a soft surface, and as always, the will to want to do better than you did yesterday.
4: Woo!
1: <laughs> I am so motivated. <laughs> I think
3: that
4: goes for anything. Like,
1: that's awesome. Now,
3: that's just how I start throughout class I'm normally screaming like get up don't give up harder I'm watching you when I'm not really watching you cuz a lot of stuff is, a lot of stuff is on camera So you're
2: doing this live right you're streaming these programs and so you kind of like pretend you're watching people is that kind of how it works or
3: um, the funny thing is I'm a very spiritual person. So like I, I, I So you're feeling it. I feel it. You're feeling it. I feel it. There's there's tons of people in my class. There's a million names pop up on a prompter and I, I always connect to one or two of those names. Like I, I find myself going back to very specific names, like I'll say, "Okay, Kenya, you got it." All right, Simone, you got it. And then I'm like, "Something is telling me to really talk to Kenya." So I'm like, "Hey, Kenya, I got a feeling you're not going as hard as you can go." Something is telling <laughs> me that you got a little bit more in you. So, just,
1: just so you know, Kenya is
3: here in the studio. <laughs> Hi, Kenya. Hey, Kenya. Just to I think all this of is this. personal. Well, Kenya is the reason why I'm here. So and shout out to Kenya. Um, honestly, the funny thing is, we are so much in a digital age right now. And a lot of people always ask me about my website. I had a website up, but I got no traction. Everyone finds me on social media at Walter Kemp, the number two. And that's how I've got in contact with a lot of celebrities and celebrities found me. And not only that, I'm connected to a lot of celebrities in Miami, Florida, where I'm from. So um, a lot of them are part of my network, to be honest. What is the number two? Well, my father is Walter Kemp, number one. I'm a junior. Oh. <laughs> so I'm the second
2: one. Okay, I thought it was like one of those email things, you know, it's like Richard Gerhardt, number
3: 762 at Gmail. <laughs> yeah, no, Walter Kemp Jr. was taken on social media, so I had to go with Walter Kemp, too. Ah,
2: Got okay. It. So what celebrities give us some good gossip on some of the celebrities you've worked with.
3: Let's see Well, we could talk about one Sabrina Fulton is Trayvon Martin's mother um, She works with Trayvon Martin and the Trayvon Martin Foundation and throughout her journey She's become a celebrity and she's actually one of my clients and um, I actually just had a session with her in Miami about a month ago and it was actually quite hysterical. I found myself being the only one working out. So, (laughs) At the end of the workout...
2: You're into the older person (laughs) category here. It literally
3: was just entertaining for her at that point. I was like, you know what, let me just go for it. But she got a little sweat in. She got a little sweat in. That's good. That's good.
2: So, how do you connect with the celebrities then? You said it's on Instagram. I mean, do they approach working out differently than non-celebrities? Or
3: Not at all. They approach it the exact same. If anything, I feel that they may be a little bit more hungry than an average person just because as a celebrity you have expectations of people you know what I'm saying or you're always on camera and you want to look a certain way and as they say and which is true the camera does add 10 pounds to you so they're conscious of that so they work a little bit harder than my normal clients to be honest.
1: So I want to get back to something you said you're really on social media so it yeah a website's okay most people have them but to really get the traction you need, you felt social media was the answer. So
3: Honestly, I wouldn't say that I honestly felt that social media was the answer. Social media just came. Like all of a sudden I was posting and I was telling my story and I was making videos and it kind of just happened. And I went from 2K to 9K in over two years. So um, it kind of just happened for me. So I think everyone has their own outlet. Some people cling to YouTube, um, some people have um, Facebook. Me personally, my audience is Instagram. That's where I choose to share my life. <laughs>
1: and Instagram is the fastest growing channel right
3: now. Yeah. So get into it, get, get in- into it. Yes, sir.
2: <laughs> so what what kinds of things about yourself do you share to engage your followers on social media?
3: It was funny because it all started with a company, 305 Fitness. I had to do an Instagram takeover is how it started.
2: Instagram takeover is what? Instagram
3: takeover is basically on Instagram, they have um, stories. So opposed to posting, you can go to a story and kind of like narrate your day. And I had to do a takeover on one of the companies that I was working for. And I was so nervous because I just didn't want to be that vulnerable and show that much of myself. They needed to see what I woke up, um, how I woke up, what did I eat that day, the things I'm using to fuel my body as an instructor. So that was kind of invasive. Like I was I was really, really afraid. But I decided to do it, and the response was ridiculous. Like people thought I was so funny, they were motivated by the fact that I sat on my roof and meditated every morning. They um was inspired by the classes. And at that point, I knew that that was my outlet. I was like, okay, I have to do this for myself. And that's kind of how it all started.
1: So how often do you post now?
3: Oh, girl. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Wow. um, Every day. It's literally, it's like sometimes I have to tell myself, Walter, put your phone down and be (laughs) present in a moment. But I mean, like, I'm so connected to my followers, to like, those are my friends. They've become my friends. Like like yesterday, I had a really hard day, which I normally don't have, but it was kind of emotional. And I made a post about what I was feeling. And I got so many DMs and I got so much support and people just saying, hey, you motivate us every single day, what can we do to help you? So it's really a community. That's great.
2: So what would be the single most important piece of advice you would give somebody who wants to be successful as a personal trainer?
3: The most important piece of advice I would give to anyone, anyone, whether it's training, whether it's cooking, is work on the messenger before you work on the message. So basically, start with yourself. Work on a messenger before you work on a message.
2: That's great. Somebody once told me that about leadership. If you want to be a better leader, work on yourself. I, I really do think that that is great advice.
1: Unfortunately, for me, it's a never ending project. <laughs> There's probably more I can do. That's the fun, right? I guess so, it's called life. <laughs>
2: so we're here with Walter Kemp. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. We'll be right back with more right after this break.
5: What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product a new software application that you're planning to build or sell or a brand or company name that you want to protect Contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at gearhartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson.
0: Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. So
5: during
2: the break, Kenya Gibson came in, our media maven. So she's a fitness expert, too, but she has worked with Walter. We just wanted to let her describe what the experience was like working (laughs) with Walter.
6: So I met Walter at a Therese event that iHeart did. Um, It was this rooftop workout, probably, what, Three months ago or so. It was definitely in the summertime.
3: Maybe. Um, no, it was the end of the summer. Maybe like a month ago, I okay. feel. like it, yeah. it
6: was recently. Yeah. And boy, let me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you go, and as, as a trainer, you go into things, you're like, okay, like, I got this. Like, I work out regularly. I should be okay. Right. I would say maybe five to ten minutes into the workout, I was just like, Oh my lord, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and you know, and you go and you you know, you're a front row diva, so you go and you get in the front and I then everybody's that. watching you and you're like, You can't be the loser standing <laughs> <This is everything laughs> there moving. So every opportunity that I had to, like, pause or take a break, I was like, I know he's going to take a break any second. And Every time I thought he was going to take a break, we were doing something else. So <laughs> uh, it, going. Oh, it was wow. amazing, though. Um, his Walter's energy is great. And I think Thank that's you. what it comes down to is just being able to connect with a trainer that makes you feel good about what you're doing mm-hmm. and you feel like you've accomplished something. So even though it was difficult, I felt like
3: accomplished at the end of it. And that's amazing. That's... The funny thing is, you were the only one who did the entire workout. <laughs> that's why I was, like, I was like, wait, who is she? <laughs> I, like, I gotta meet her. And when she said she was a trainer, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So thank you so much oh for everything. Gosh. Yeah,
6: it's, it's been amazing. Tell them about your workout, like your format.
3: So my format is a little bit different than um, the formats that I teach with these other companies. My personal format is a dance hit class and it's high interval training. With low impact dance movement, so it's welcoming to people who are usually fitness goers, people that like burpees and people that like push-ups.
4: Wait,
1: who are those people?
3: <laughs> I have a small guilty, <laughs> but um, but it's also but it's also mixed with very low impact dance movement. So like if there's always something that you connect I'm sorry, to. Sorry,
2: I'm trying to visualize this. Burpees, which are what, like jumping push-ups kind of, right? You
3: you fall down and you push up and then you stand up again, right? You got it. And you're dancing while you're doing this. I'm dancing to cool down. So I'll go from 30 seconds of burpees to maybe a jook for 15 seconds to recover. And then we go right back to burpees, back to a jook. The Navy SEALs use this workout, right? Um, everyone. <laughs> everyone.
6: I just think Walter has really good energy, and I'm a big like you, very spiritual. Just mm-hmm. really pick up on good energy, and I, like I said, we just I feel like we connected. And you know, yeah. I you were motivating the entire time, mm-hmm. and you know, and I, even then those times where I was like trying to hide and like take a little break, <laughs> you'd come back around and be like, "Oh God, I gotta push harder." So I think there was that.
3: I'm definitely like that accountability partner, like you know what I'm saying. And I'm that for everyone in the room. I'm watching every single one. I'm not going to let anyone live up to their lowest potential. Everyone is going to live up to their highest potentials if I'm in the room. You know, not on my watch. (laughs) But um, as soon as Kenya walked in, I was like, who is she? Then the workout started. I was like, I must connect with her. So, like, I'm just... It was a a good time. It was a really good time. And it was
6: meant to be. And it was
3: meant to be. It really, really was. I can't believe all this evolved from that one workout.
6: Right. You never know who you're going to meet.
3: You never know who you're going to meet. That's why you have to be on your P's, your Q's, your A's, your D's, your everything.
1: I got to ask you something else though, Walter. I know if I was exercising that much, I would probably compensate with calories. (laughs) and I wouldn't lose
3: a, a single pound. So what do you eat? Like, do you track that? Um, Honestly, I am really bad with it. I am not a nutritionist at all. Um, I just started a plant-based diet just so I can try to get more vegetables into my diet. Impossible burgers? Uh, uh, Uh-oh. No, that's not my thing. Yeah, Uh, I'd rather have a hamburger. (laughs) I'd rather have a hamburger. But, yeah, I eat just like everyone else. You know, I probably eat a little bit more because I work out so much. And, like, on a normal day, I teach about three hours of cardio. So about three different classes. And you're supposed to eat 15 to 20 minutes minutes right after you work out. So that's already three meals that I'm having outside of my breakfast, lunch and dinner. So I get about six meals a day, to be honest.
2: Wow. Three workouts a day, though, where you're training and you're bringing that intensity. That's a lot of work.
3: Yeah. And and right now, those three hours, I'm not personal training. I'm actually a fitness coach. So I'm actually doing the full workout the entire time and demonstrating and talking and motivating so it's it's really a workout, yeah. That's amazing. So, do you sleep well at night? I sleep amazing, like a king. <laughs> I sleep amazing, yeah.
1: I guess we've already talked. If somebody wants to do something, they really have to have the passion for it. They have to really enjoy it, and they have to do it like every day. Yes,
3: absolutely. The power is in the doing. Like I tell my clients all the time, if you've been sitting on the sidelines for too long, now is the time to get in the game. You know, you have to do it. The power is definitely in the doing.
2: So we had a question from somebody in the studio during our break. She was wondering if you could describe in a little bit more detail what your normal workouts are like. What kind of moves do you do? What can
3: people expect? I teach two 28-minute segments on a live broadcasting show called Obey. And on that show, I teach my dance hit class, which is like we spoke about, the high-interval training with the low-impact dance movement. And then I also teach a strength class. And my strength class is very basic. You don't really need a bunch of equipment. You just need to set a set of weights, a mat, or a soft surface. And um, it's 28 minutes of about like four to five movements that we do, lunges, squats, uh, some push-ups, and we just do those same movements over and over to exhaust that one muscle. Um, because I do it three times a week, you um you get the same workout each week. I mean for that week, and then the following week it changes. So it changed every week to work on different muscle groups.
6: Lots of squats.
3: Lots of squats. <laughs> did, did, I, did I did I mention right? squats? <laughs> More squats. I I don't even know. I, I the funny thing is, I think the squat was like my go to move. Like whenever I'm just like flustered or tired or my hips are kind of like tight. I'm like, okay, go to the squat until you figure out what are you are going to do next. And I'll go to my squat and it just became like the thing.
1: Do you just do classes in one place, or do you go across the country to train people? Like if you have, well, you said uh, Florida, but if you had somebody in LA that wanted a, s- a session with you, would you go there?
3: Absolutely. I, I go wherever the money is. <laughs> Good plan.
4: Health <laughs> is important, but
3: so is the money. I love My like financial health, yeah. Absolutely. And <laughs>
6: they can watch you on Obey. So explain how that works, because I think a lot of people aren't familiar with like that digital fitness
3: space. Obey is basically a live streaming fitness class. So we stream about seven classes a day, from 6 a.m., to about 2 p.m., and we do the same workout for one week, and they change weekly. And if you miss the live classes, then you get a chance to go into our library and catch them on demand as well. So it's just like um, a live TV show, basically just centered around fitness.
6: And how is that spelled?
3: Obey. Okay.
6: And Walter is working people out on the plane, too. Oh, wow. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're like in your seat doing that. Uh, yeah, that,
6: that was oh. one of the things
3: I did recently. So recently, I partnered with Well and Good and did in-flight fit. So basically, I did um, some workouts for uh, JetBlue. So if you go on all JetBlue flights, you'll be able to kind of check out one of my workouts on there as well. A lot of st- more, mostly stretching, some forward hinges, some knee raises for core support, stuff like that.
2: Wow, you have to be pretty dedicated to work out on an airplane, right?
3: I mean, either pretty dedicated <laughs> or just like really tense. I'm really sitting... bored one or of the bored. <laughs> <I'm> Not
2: bored, <laughs> guys.
3: Fitness is a well, way of life. I'm okay? really bored on this airplane. Let's see if they have a workout video. No. But I mean, after sitting on a flight for so long, I mean, your your lower back starts to get tight. You know what I mean? You like those are things that's gonna help you just keep the circulation moving. You know what I'm saying? So you don't get off the plane feeling all stiff.
6: I worry about the person sitting next to me though, who I'm afraid to even. <laughs> get up to go to the bathroom let alone be next to them i know <laughs>
3: no no that is something. i mean if
6: you can even squeeze
2: a
3: workout in these chairs right. and the planes are so tight now well JetBlue blue actually you know they have pretty big seats they do they do
1: so walter uh could you spell your handle for us
3: so you guys can follow me on instagram at walter kemp the number two walter w-a-l-t-e-r last name kemp k-e-m-p and the number two
2: great so thank you so much For being on the show I hope you can stick around For a little bit well, I think he has to go work out
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I got a squat to do yeah, some Squats calling my name
2: <laughs> Anyway it's Passage to Profit We'll be right back After this message
5: There's never been a better time To start your own business The opportunities are infinite And only limited By your imagination And enthusiasm At Gearheart Law We believe the most successful Companies all have One thing in common They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensing, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson.
0: Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart.
5: Welcome back, everybody. We're now on to the
2: executive spotlight portion of our show. We just had a really fantastic conversation with Walter Kemp. If
1: you missed it, listen to the podcast tomorrow. (laughs) He's so so much energy.
2: Totally fun. And you can find the podcast on the iHeart app. And you just download the app and you can get access to all the Passage to Profit shows. It's really great. And you'll especially get the chance to hear Walter. And our next guest, uh, Mario Casabona, somebody that Elizabeth and I have known for a long time. He's really a very important person in the New Jersey entrepreneurial scene. He's run a successful business and then he turned into an investor. And he's really a mentor to a lot of startup companies in New Jersey a great person, though always willing to help out, and he has a little money too, which makes him really popular.
7: So, welcome to the show, Mario. So good to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my background, and I've I've got to start off with the point that I'm actually an immigrant, and um, uh, parents and I immigrated, and uh, we had a, a voyage. Uh, I would say passage to New York. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, uh, that's a good one. <laughs> what, what a phenomenal experience. And then lived in Brooklyn for about five or six years and uh, got into a lot of trouble. <laughs> and my parents decided to move us to Bloomfield, New Jersey. Oh. And, and there I spent, I've spent most of my life in New Jersey. So that's why I'm pretty entrenched in the science and technology community you know, went to high school and obviously, and then went to uh, college at Fairleigh Dickinson. And I've always wanted to be an engineer. Um, So I started my career working at a company called uh, ITT, uh, where I was the design engineer. And in those days, we didn't have mentors. What we had was what we called bosses and supervisors. (laughs) And and difficult people to work for. Uh, But they were really mentors. And I had three wonderful mentors. Uh, they even wrote some major books. And I was probably the only junior engineer working for them. And they, they were really uh, difficult on me. Uh, but went from uh, ITT, then with a spinoff company called Curse and Alterman. Uh They got bought by Raytheon. And then I didn't get along with the Raytheon Management. Uh, spun off a company called Electro Radiation Incorporated with basically two weeks' worth of vacation money. So So that was your own company? That was my own company, yep, 100%. Um, And it was uh, two weeks' vacation. Uh, But I had sort of name recognition in the industry, so it was relatively easy to get contracts, okay? And it was really, it was with the Department of Defense, um, and it was just, it was wonderful. I had a great time. So what I basically did is I bootstrapped the company. So there's a difference between investor, where you uh, uh, raise capital, versus where you bootstrap. Mm -hmm. Uh, And bootstrap, you have to worry about cash flow and and, and a lot of financial situations. But I thought I was a great engineer. And then uh, while I was working at Raytheon, my supervisor came up to me and said, Mario, we need to talk. And the reality is, he uh, brought me in and he says, Mario, you're really not a good engineer. You're, oh um, how nice! Yeah, oh, oh he, <laughs> he blew me away. He was just wow. devastated me, and I thought he was a great engineer. And um, uh, he um, uh, basically told me, "He says you're a better manager than I am." Oh. So within oh. six months, hmm. within six months, he became my. Uh, he ended up working for me. Uh, I helped him launch uh, a company while I was still working there, and then he helped me launch a company called Electro Radiation Incorporated. Uh, We did some great work for Department of Army, Navy, Air Force, Turkish government, Israeli government. So we were somewhat global, but we still, we were providing services. So we really didn't have a product. And probably back in the late 90s, I decided to create a lot of intellectual property, which really gave me a opportunity because now I had other values. So I owned the IP. Um, at, at the end of the day, we had uh, six U.S. patents and six international patents, and I went through the whole PCT process. The whole, process. You the know, whole you, shebang, right? You guys them. know yeah, it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You, you guys absolutely know it. And um, uh, at the end of the day, uh, we, uh, we really filled a gap in the industry. So I actually hired a uh, investment banker. And the uh, interesting part is that I could not speak as, as, as much as I knew The uh, uh, C-suite technology folks, I couldn't speak their language. Hmm. So I hired an investment banker, and the investment banker basically said, Mario, this is the way we're going to do things. Now, I've been a CEO for 20 years, Hmm. and now I've got this individual telling me, you're going to do it my way. Wow. And I said, okay. Okay. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's hard to do.
4: Oh,
1: yeah. uh,
7: well, so, if, so, if they know something you don't, then well, well, that's well, it. They, what they, else they, they going to do? They spoke you know? a different language, and um, uh, they were able to get three offers. And Honeywell uh, came up with a fantastic offer, and a lot of it had to do with the in- intellectual property. Wow. Uh, that we had. It's and always we, good to hear. We
1: try telling people it, that. We, we try. <laughs> if
7: you want to sell your company to Honeywell, have yep. intellectual yep. property. Yep. So it's it's something that's very tangible, and it, it really differentiates yourself from, from everybody else. So then worked for Honeywell for three years, had a great time. I didn't have to worry about payroll. Payroll came from Honeywell heaven. <laughs> <laughs> right? The money just falls it out just, of the sky. So, how so nice me, to run a business
2: yeah. and not have to worry uh, about so, payroll. So,
1: so when Honeywell bought your company, they bought you with it for three years. Is that no, kind of what so, happened? No. So
7: so that was interesting. So um, uh, maybe I was a little bit uh, arrogant, independent, but I heard some horror stories when large companies buy small, medium-sized companies. So my reaction was to them was, okay, you really want to buy us, but I don't know how you're going to treat me. Mm -hmm. so um, I want number one I had um, all my employees got hired even my part-time employees because the the reality is I'm you can't be a one-man show you've got to have a team behind you people that you trust I had a wonderful c-suite I had wonderful team and if it wasn't for them I wouldn't be in the position I was so uh, I sold the company with the understanding that they would all be hired okay and then um, I didn't want to have a, an obligation to be with Honeywell because if it didn't go well, I'd say, I, I want to walk away. I, I just So we actually worked out a three-year um, retention bonus, um, and I loved it. It was, it was uh, fantastic. Uh, Honeywell was great. Um, the um, culture at Honeywell fit right into the same culture that my company had. Uh, transition was relatively easy. Uh, and I give that credit to, my, uh, to the vice president at Honeywell uh, that I ended up reporting to. And then I was with Honeywell for three years, uh, left, it basically just too bureaucratic. My products were t- starting to go into manufacturing. So what I decided to do was to uh, figure out, what do I want to do the rest of my life? Um, and with you know, uh, the age that I was and, and uh, how many times can I start a company? Uh, it turns out maybe two or three companies. And I said, no, 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 I want to do more than that. So I decided to become an angel investor. So that's where I decided to give my money away. <laughs> well, with the hope <laughs> of returns sometimes. So that's, so, so, so that's my philanthropic. Okay. <laughs> well, that's where's my the philanthropic. investor part of that? Though. So, so uh, it, it does re- investing does work if you got to do it smartly. So
1: original. how do you pick your companies?
7: Now, now that's a, a really tough question, primarily because the number one important aspect of investing in a company is is really investing in the team. You know, there's some, some companies that come in, some ideas that come in that barely have a team put together. So then the question is, can that CEO, can that leader pull together a team? Okay. And that's a hard thing to do. So- I prefer investing in a two-to-three-man, two-to-three-person team than a one-person team. Um, and then the next question comes up is, does the team, have they worked together in the past? Do they know each other? So does that happen
2: a lot where people come to you, they present their business, and you know everybody has these slide decks, and sort of like in the first five slides, they have pictures of all the people who are team members or who are affiliated. They have their bios. You look at that, but there's more to a team, right, than just putting pictures on a slide deck, right? And does it, does it really work out that they, people have worked together a lot in the past?
7: So my, my initial reaction is going to be no. But what happens is, uh, I mean, I've run into companies where it's, it's one solid CEO. He's got energy. Um, I'm not sure it's more energy than Walter had. (laughs) That'd be hard. We were all perspiring during Walter's segment, by the way. We weren't even working out. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Phenomenal. But it takes that kind of energy and passion uh, and confidence from that individual. But he can't do everything himself. Okay, Maybe initially he can for the first three, four months, especially when he's trying to raise some friends and family capital. But then after that, he's got to have a team. So if he's just going to go out and go to a meetup and and identify a team member, and meetups are great places to meet people, but if you go out to a a, a meetup and and identify an individual, you you really don't know the chemistry, the culture between those two people, those two individuals. So I look for, for individuals that have worked together in the past, that have failed together
2: in the past, Okay. Wow. That's a, that's kind of a twist. Why failed? I mean, that's counterintuitive. No, no, no.
7: Well, you, you learn from your failures, right? Right. right. I mean, you, you, you build a company and, and the intent is not to fail. You, you don't want to do that to your investors. Okay. But in reality, you know, one out of 10 companies might make it. So where does the other nine go? Well, they're failures, but don't look at it as being failed. they really have learned what the process is and what mistakes not to make in the next venture.
1: When we spoke on the phone earlier, I mean, we've known you for years, but you and I talked a little bit about what we were going to say here. I asked you to define the difference between an angel investor and a VC, venture capital investor.
7: Sure. Let's take it a little bit before that. Okay, so an entrepreneur says, well, I've got this great idea. I want to put it together. He puts together a business plan. And by the way, we usually want a pitch deck, not really a a business plan at this point. So you go out and you start contacting your friends, your family, people that love you, people that believe in you, and that's called a family and friend raise. Okay, so you raise twenty-five, fifty, dollars $100,000. It may give you some opportunities to build a minimum viable product or, or maybe wireframes if you're doing an app. It, it'll help you do something, but at the end of the day, you need additional capital. Well, if you go to VCs, you're much too early for those VCs, because what the VCs need to do is they're, they're basically managing other people's money. So they've got certain criteria, certain uh, requirements they have to fulfill. So what's in between friends and family and venture capitalists are angel investors. And that's, that's where we come in. And usually angel investors are individuals like myself, who have been successful entrepreneurs, have had an exit or two, and now they have some capital, discretionary funds, that they want to put back to work. But in reality, what they're doing is they're giving back because we do have expectations of an ROI, but in reality, one out of 10 usually makes it.
1: So do you mentor your companies?
7: Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. As an angel investor, depending if we are going to be more active in the company, so then we provide guidance, advisory, okay? But typically, an angel investor does not mentor a company, and there's always exceptions to that rule, okay? Typically, we'll uh, invest in a company, and we're, we're, we're somewhat passive. Uh, we'll get on their board of directors. Maybe uh, we'll provide some guidance. We'll give some contacts, uh, but we're not really mentoring, Okay? So because of that and because of the deal flow, because I always want to look at deals ahead of time before anybody else sees it. I want to get a jump on the deals. So because of that, we actually created an entity called TechLaunch. And initially, TechLaunch was meant to take companies with ideas, provide them with some seed capital, and take an equity position and put them through a 16-week rigorous boot camp. OK, one mean by rigorous is that we uh, we expected some of our founders to sleep over the weekend at, at the co-working space. So we did that for about three years. We had three programs. We launched 26 companies and we invested about one point six million. I raised a fund of about one point six million. And then what I realized, and this is probably 2015, I realized that especially in New Jersey, because I've been New Jersey focused, that um, uh, the quality of the deal flow just wasn't there I was not excited about the deal flow and during about that time IOT was coming into play
2: so when you talk about deal flow you mean like the number of projects that you were seeing and the quality of the projects that you were seeing is that kind of what you mean by deal
7: flow so so the number of opportunities or deals I'll, I'll say there's plenty of great ideas out there the issue was is not the quantity of deals or opportunities. The issue was the quality of the deal. And what I mean by that is, do they have a team? Do they have some revenue? Um, how long have they been in existence, right? What's their traction? Uh, what's their, what problem are they solving? That's really the type of questions I would ask.
2: So if somebody has an idea, they've started a business, they want to find angel funding, they come to you. How should they prepare themselves? The first hurdle
7: is really how do they get to someone like me? The best way to do that, I mean, obviously you can apply to various platforms. Uh, Gust is one of them. Procedure is another. That's one way to do it. But then you get into the hopper. So the real way to get my attention is to go through individuals like yourself. Gerhard Law calls me up. Richard calls me and says, Mario, you know, I've been looking at this company they, they I don't know what else they need but would you look at them It's called a warm introduction and I, I get that with you know some other law, other law firms Gibbons law um, others and accounting firms right so it's so the warm introduction puts them to the top. Then when I look at it I, I want to look at a, an executive summary one page executive summary that probably gives me a snapshot of what I want to look at that'll get my interest. If I'm not interested, it's a real quick email. It says, thank you very much, uh, but I'm not interested in this opportunity. If I'm interested, then we start the communication process, and I look for a pitch deck. And usually that pitch deck is about 15 to 18 pages, okay? And really what I look for is, you know, what's your journey to get there, to where you are? That's number one, because everybody has a story. And the reason you're most likely raising capital is because you had some kind of event that happened in your life that you want to solve that problem. So what's your journey? Uh, What's the problem? And what's the solution to your problem? That's what I want to hear. How are you going to solve it? What technology is going to be required? Uh, Who's on your team? Can you execute? What's your competition? What are the hurdles from someone else coming in? Can you get intellectual property? (laughs) Yes, yes, and that's how you get to
2: it. Mario, just absolutely fantastic advice. How can our listeners find you if they want to follow up? Sure.
7: So if you want to get some uh, mentoring and exposure to investors, then my suggestion is go to techlaunch.com, T-E-C-H-L-A-U-N-C-H.com. If you want to know more about what type of investing I do, then just go to CasabonaVentures.com. All one word. If you want to follow Tech Launch, uh, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, Tech Launch NJ.
2: And Gerhart Law is a sponsor of Tech Launch. Yes, 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 absolutely. So if you go and you win, you get free legal services from us. Even if you don't have a project, if you're thinking about doing one, I suggest go to Tech Launch because you can learn so much about how the entrepreneurial process works, how entrepreneurs present, the types of things they present. It's a wonderful education for anybody who is interested in entrepreneurism. And we'll be back right after this commercial message.
8: Hi, I'm Lisa Asklease, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years hundreds of products later, and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, eVineLive, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you wanna know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me. Lisa Askeley's the inventress. Go to inventingATOZ.com. InventingA to Z.com. Email me, Lisa at inventingaz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com.
0: Now back to passage to profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart.
8: Now it's time for the pitches.
0: When
1: you're listening to these two pitches. Think about which one you like best, and then go to the Passage to Profit show website and vote.
2: So everyone gets one vote, and the voting is open for four and a half days until Friday morning at 10 a.m. Don't forget to like us, too, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
1: So it's only one vote, so get your friends to vote. And you can remember the name of the show by imagining you're walking down a passage with your invention in your hand, (laughs) and there's a huge pot of gold at the end,
2: (laughs) Passage to Profit the Inventor Show. There you go, and may your passage be short and your profit be huge. Each contestant gets two minutes to pitch, followed by a discussion with Mario and us. The best overall vote-getter gets a professionally produced video of their pitch, a $500 value.
1: And it goes on to our YouTube channel. So let's get started. Our first pitch is by Lorna Scott, who's visiting here from South Africa. She's going to change the world with gin. I know you got to hear that. Her <laughs>
9: company is Inverosh. Welcome, Lorna. Thank you very much for having me. I'd like to start by explaining why I'm here in New York. I decided to create a spirit. It's It's gin about four years ago, and the reason why I did that is to be able to create a product that would be able to get people talking Talking <laughs> about, not just because of the occasion that it usually um, gives rise to. <laughs> Drunk <laughs> talking.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to laugh because I, know, I always talk a lot more when I... <laughs> <laughs>
9: well, you see, there's obviously method in my madness. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the real inspiration was to get people talking about things that we have in common rather than about the things that make us different. And if you're now more confused than ever about the linked to Jin and that statement, it will make more sense when I explain what my inspiration was. I live in a little place called Stilbe, which is right at the tip of the continent of Africa. And what I discovered there some time ago was an incredible story that needed to be told. And the story I discovered was the fact that we are all one tribe and that our origin as a species which means that every human being alive on the planet today comes from this place is a story that needed to be told in a way that would inspire people to share that also with other people and start to make a change in their own lives and ultimately, hopefully, help us to save ourselves from ourselves. And of course, gin helps. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> Both in the telling of the story and of the listening.
9: Totally. And so the incredible discovery really starts with the archaeological sites that are only about 10, 15 kilometers from my distillery. And what was discovered there were artifacts that we had created as humans about 150,000 years ago. And these are, are the, shall we say, the oldest evidence of our creativity as modern humans. For example, they found that there was an artist's toolkit, which is an abalone shell with ochre and different ingredients, which incidentally they also found later on was still used by the pharaohs in Egypt only about 2,000 years ago. This dates back to 75,000 years ago. And so the technology and the invention of creativity happened at the southern coast, in the southern tip of Africa. And combined with the fact that what was also a significant link to all of this is that where we are at the edge of the Agalis Plain is in the middle of what is known as the world's richest floral biome. Fainbos is the collective name for the ingredients that I use to infuse my gin with. And the reason why that is significant is that because these are the oldest botanicals that have been used by humans for more than a millennia, and we used to not only use them for sustenance but because they're so incredibly aromatic they have great medicinal properties we probably use them to also make ourselves smell better i did consider by the way making perfume before i got onto the gin but i thought that'd be much more interesting making gin <laughs> <laughs> and more fun <laughs> and way more fun and and plus of course i like gin i was gonna ask so <laughs> now I we know, know. <laughs> and so that connection between the ingredients that was part of our survival story was the inspiration behind finding ways to use these historically significant ingredients to create a world-class product. Much, I suppose if you were to compare this with whiskey that represents the culture of Scotland or perfume that traditionally we associate with the sophistication of um, France I thought that if we were to use these ancient ingredients and created a modern, sophisticated, elegant product that would speak of us as Africans as we are now, then we could connect the past to our current reality and start to create narratives about the future. And so that was the reason why I started making gin with these extraordinary ingredients. And by the way, just to give you some context, there are six biomes, floral biomes on the planet. The Cape Floral Kingdom is the smallest, yet it's the most diverse on the entire globe. It's so small that there are more plants, just to give you context, on the slopes of Table Mountain than there are in the entire United Kingdom. Wow. So about nine and a half to 10,000 different floral species that grow there and grow nowhere else on the planet.
2: So how did you pick the flowers that you put into the gin? And what does it taste like? How, how is this different from other Well, g- you'll
9: have to come for a tasting, of course. <laughs> you have to experience <laughs> this for yourself, but that's um, phase two. Because of the complexity, um, I was very fortunate to live, as I say, in this tiny little village of Stillbay and there are um, a hugely underutilized resource by the way i think this is something that is globally um, significant which are retired people and we have um, the fortunate case of retirees in stillbay that were also botanists and um, were also um, well known as uh, retired distillers and so they were able to assist me to discover um, the fame boss and also to help me to learn something i didn't know anything whatsoever about because my background is not in distilling nor in botany i have a marketing background and an operational background and i was a politician for my sins that might also be a link to the <laughs> journey see Jen, yes. Um, yes. politics yeah. i see yeah. the connection there you go. Yes. <laughs> it all makes sense <laughs> now right yeah. and so with that as a as a guide um, I started off working with them going into the felt and finding the most delicious, historically well-known ingredients that I started to experiment with, with a little baby pot still called Mini Meg, one and a half liter pot, pot still. by the way, is you know the, the only ancient alchemist used to use them. It hasn't changed, by the way, and it's the same way that you make whiskey or any other um, uh, spirit. And you distill alcohol with these ingredients and that's how you make gin.
7: I've got a couple of questions. This is interesting. <laughs> uh, especially the flavored gin. So I'm I'm more of a grappa person, but I can be persuaded. I'll, I'll <laughs> make no I mistake. Could, You'll I be persuaded. Really be persuaded. So when you talk about bottling, well you didn't talk about bottling, but you have to bottle these things. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about the scalability? How are you gonna Sell this globally, if that's your intent, or just locally? What's your plan for doing that?
9: Well, it's a little bit of a complicated answer to your question, but let me start off with a practicality. First of all, using ingredients that are unique mm-hmm. has its own limitations. Mm-hmm. And there is also the element of scarcity. So what we did right up front is once we decided on the collection of botanicals, and as I say, I probably started off with about 300 different botanicals, and we did harvest them in the wild. But clearly, planning ahead, what we did is we set up our own nursery. And so we now propagate all of these ingredients ourselves. Everything is handcrafted. Every single petal, every single leaf, every little berry is picked by hand without damaging the plant. We only harvest the bits that we need. And we continue propagating in advance. But there was a lead time. So, planning ahead was always limited as we started by what was available of the ingredients. And because authenticity is totally in the foundation of my brand, which is all about being handcrafted and honoring the original story of why we became sentient in that particular place, it's all about creativity and being handcrafted is a core element of that. So, to come back to your question, planning ahead for that meant that it I could only grow and expand as my demand side increased and as supply was available. So there was a natural control. But where I am now, as we've gone global, which is why we're here, and we're already in 17 different countries, um, and I have been able to scale by staying true to a very simple principle like you would with an exquisitely crafted handbag from Gucci or Chanel. You know that it is being made by humans, and so authenticity comes back into play. So scaling up meant that I simply duplicate a model of production, and each bottle goes through 16 pairs of human hands from, and this excludes the harvesting and the propagation process. Every label is signed by hand, And so we scale by just duplicating that in, um, shall we say, in clusters and are able to now plan for expanding, hopefully, throughout America as well.
7: Wow, that's fantastic because you actually answered the other question I had, which is uh, how do you differentiate yourself from your competition, Mm -hmm. which was very good. Then I've got another question. Who's your customer? I, I, I know people that like gin. But I I mean, (laughs) you know, we can go to a liquor store and buy a bottle of gin. I I have no idea because I don't drink gin, but I might start. Um, So who's your customer? Who's your client?
9: The client actually, or the the consumer, is the full spectrum from, you know, legal age, obviously, right up to 90-year-old or even older. I have had a few octogenarians that have uh, participated and, you know, still do, And it's a very curious profile. It's not just the um, age that is an element. Disposable income, one would usually look at the kind of demographics that would be able to afford a luxury product. But we found that that doesn't apply in my case. There's a great deal of, um, shall we say, loyalty to the product in South Africa, and it also has become... More than a status symbol, if you're looking at a luxury luxury product, there is an element of an emotional connection with the product that broadens the customer base so I,
7: I've, I've got one last question I've got to ask where do I buy this <laughs> good question Mary I, I, like try I, I want a case <laughs> <laughs> I'm sold you, you, you have no idea what I've done for grappa you have, no, you have no idea well
9: in the states we're already we've been here now for just over two years since it took a while to get our FDA approval as you can imagine with all my exotic and interesting ingredients but we do have distribution um, I would, uh, we're already in uh, a few states. Um, we're in California, down in Miami, Florida, um, Texas, and of course in New York as well. But I think the simple answer is to go to our website and you'll get directed to wherever the closest, most convenient place is. So the website is um, the usual. And inverash.co.za, I'll spell that for you. Inverage is R. O-C-H-E dot C-O dot Z-A, for our, our U.S. listeners, dot
2: Z-A.
1: Oh, sorry, Z-A. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was like, Zed. Oh, yeah. I know, Zed. Everybody
2: in the studio is writing this down, by the way. Yes. So. I have it written down already, Richard. I, I, I just wrote it down. So. <laughs> that might be good for Christmas.
1: Huh? I am definitely going to go try this because I always thought gin only tasted one way. I'm very curious. So thank you very much. And for those of you listening, if someone's just tuning in right now, you have to listen to the podcast tomorrow. Don't go away because we have a really cool pitch coming up. Passage to Profit, The Inventor Show with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart.
5: What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearhart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearhartLaw.com. At Gearhart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, Contact the experts at GearHeartLaw, Law, www.gearhartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact GearheartLaw Law on the web at gearhartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson.
0: Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart.
2: And if you would like to hear the show again, for those of you who didn't get enough of it the first time, go to the Passage to Profit website, PassageToProfitShow.com, and you can download the podcast. Or you can go to the iHeart app, and you can listen to it there. Coming up next, now we have a very special treat. It's really a duo presentation We have a very serious CEO with a very serious proposal and project. And we have uh, somebody else. His name is Seymour Squirrels. And we found out just before the show was going to go on that he was going to be here as a guest. And he's dressed up in a squirrel costume. And presumably we're going to learn about the connection between the company and the squirrels. (laughs) And if you guys could, like, just pass around the nuts... That you're, Because some of us are hungry, too. It's not no. just only for the squirrel. Are uh, good <laughs> yeah. Oh, are, oh, these oh are these the street nuts or a street <laughs> oh, my. oh, man. So if we throw these on the floor, will the squirrel go after them? Or? Uh, I, I'd like his
10: support behind me, so let's not test that theory. <laughs> All right. Well,
2: we're here for serious business. Uh, these so are great please. nuts. <laughs> mm,
10: thank well, you. Only the best nuts for Seymour Squirrels. <laughs>
2: so you have two minutes. Go.
10: All right. Hey guys, first and foremost, thank you for having me on the show. Shout out to Gearhart Law. My name is Ford Seaman. I'm the founder and president of Forest Founders. We are a nonprofit whose mission is to create the tools to allow individuals and businesses to become carbon accountable through the gamification of the environment. We offer a $20 membership service to plant 16 trees on a monthly basis for our members and provide a portal to track their progress. That's enough trees to negate close to three times the average American's carbon footprint. I grew up in New York City, the concrete jungle. Nevertheless, I managed to develop an affinity for nature. Growing up watching Bill Nye, Captain Planet, I knew we had to do more to protect our environment, but what could we do as individuals to lower our carbon footprint? Taking shorter showers and recycling are absolutely helpful, but still only half measures. We need to do more. It didn't exist in a quantifiable way, so I made it my mission to make it happen. So phase one of Forest Founders is a launch uh, to the membership program, but we want to shift the monetary burden away from the consumer. Our phase two plan, currently under development, is an environmental rewards app that allows businesses to reward their customers by planting trees on their behalf. As I stated before, we build the tools to allow people to become carbon accountable. We are now looking for nonprofit partners to help us fulfill our mission. Our programs have a built in mechanism to fundraise for other nonprofits that we also partner with. So, we're all aware that our carbon emissions are a major problem. Studies show that planting a trillion trees can help offset the damage already caused. We need to harness the power of consumerism to benefit the environment for a change. We can't continue to plunder and pillage our planet's natural resources for relatively short-term monetary gains. We need to make more programs like ours that empower individuals with the tool to take personal carbon accountability. Biggest thing I learned in my journey, you have to choose success. It's not going to choose you. So just kind of going forward every day with the mission, making it happen, making connections.
2: That's a fantastic idea. How many trees have you planted so far?
10: So we've had the uh, subscription program, our our membership. We've been taking memberships for around two months now. We've planted uh, just around 30,000 trees. Wow.
2: Wow. Where do you plant them? I mean, do you have, like, designated planting (laughs) areas or just walk up and down the streets and say, (laughs) a tree would look
10: nice here? How does uh, it work? Why we have the, the squirrel mascot is because squirrels are actually the most prolific tree planters, just a little... A little know. tidbit Did for you, a know little that. factoid. I, I guess yeah, if you they, think about it, it makes sense. They bury their nuts, and then they forget where they are. Yeah. <laughs> you <know>, to <they> <laughs> so. the trees. Yeah. yeah, so nice and easy. But uh, back to your question. We actually, uh, we don't personally plant the trees. We have partnerships with other nonprofits that are built and designed just for that purpose. So our main nonprofit partner is the National Forest Foundation, the NFF. They're uh Amazing people, great to work with. They plant the trees in U.S. national forests. There are 154 of them across the country. I'm trying to spread them out so that, you know, if there are any issues, wildfires, blight, they don't take out our our whole progress here. So we got the NFF planting them. Um, We also work with another foundation that plants uh, in other parts of the world. So uh, we've just been, you know, having fun. It's a a mission that I've been passionate about for a long time. You know, it kind of stemmed from me feeling like as an individual, there just weren't enough ways for me to make an impact. As I said, shorter showers, recycling. But, you know, living in New York City, you take public transportation or you don't. The trains are still running. There's still things being done on your behalf. So you can never get out from under it. You live in an apartment building, great. The building's emitting carbon, et cetera. We wanted a program that we could have people, you know, pay for peace of mind while also allowing them to track their progress on our back-end portal that's individualized for the members. And then we also have rewards points that are earned depending on your tier um, that you earn through points as well. The more points you accrue, the higher tier you get, the better multiplier you have. And uh, people can spend that on either planting more trees or on our on our merchandise. So I'm, I'm fully decked out here. I've got my Letterman sweatshirt on. Got my uh, my T-shirt, got a got a hat in the bag, you know. We're just having fun with it. Very cool looking stuff. Do you have a
1: farm that purposely plants the trees for this to give away to these people, or are you just pulling them from farms that are already there? Oh
10: yeah, the uh, National Forest Foundation. They um they actually contract, and the U.S. Forest Service themselves are the ones that actually plant the trees in U.S. National Forests. So all the trees are actually seedlings when they go in. They're not seeds because you know seeds. You never know it's a crapshoot whether they're actually going to grow or not. So uh, they're about, you know, about one to two feet tall when they go in the ground. That's great.
2: And so just, I mean, just to play devil's advocate here. So what's to keep somebody from going to the National Forest Foundation and just buying a tree there? Why should they go through your website?
10: To be honest, there really isn't much there. Uh, The National Forest Foundation is a great site. I I don't look at them as competition. They're they're our partners. We're a we're trying to do something a little different than them. You know, we're, we're trying to gamify environmentalism, make it sexy, if you will. Um, with our rewards points and everything else that we have going on, it gives customers, or I should say our members, uh, a, a little bit more of an opportunity to be involved. So the National Forest Foundation, they plant one tree for $1. So really, our program comes out to be a little bit more expensive than if you just went directly through them. We plant 16 trees a month on our members' behalf. Got
2: it. So if you want the high-volume experience.
10: It's also, you know, who has time to once a month make a separate donation to figure out what their carbon footprint is? What we do is we work on, you know, the law of averages. The way that we figure it, 21 tons is uh, the average American consumer's carbon footprint. Each tree over a 40-year lifespan sequesters about one ton of carbon. So what we do is uh, we have 16 trees that we plant. comes out to like 192 trees a year. We don't expect all of them to uh, survive uh, our partners say it's about a 70 to 80% survival rate. We play it safe, say it's about 33 just to be on the safe side of the numbers. And when you break that down, uh, you know, we're still planting more than the 63 trees that it would take to negate three times the average American carbon footprint.
7: Can you talk about the team? right? because that's very important that's the first question absolutely then the second question is are you looking to raise money or are you know are you using crowdfunding what what's your vehicle to fund yourself
10: yeah we uh, we've done a little bit of crowdsource funding in the past um, but our program's a little different you know crowdsource funding they're usually looking for a product and since we don't have a product that's physical that people could pre-purchase it's a little different because we have an app that's kind of you know free for consumers but really just like you were talking about before um, really I've been I've been bootstrapping this thing so I've uh, been fully supporting this uh, got it off the ground it's uh, really been my passion and commitment and uh, really making the lifestyle that I want for myself I've got some great business mentors and, and partners that are uh, involved. In, Anyone that would dress yeah.
1: up in a squirrel costume together. That is and loyalty and devotion.
2: Oh, I let me tell know. you. <laughs> so,
10: uh, so you guys are a team together, right? We and are. He's uh, my, my buddy, James Christopher. He's a member of the board, and uh, he has a, an incredible day job. He's a wealth manager. We met back, actually, while we were both taking our Series 7 exam to work on Wall Street. So I was on Wall Street for a little while. Um, it just felt cheap. I didn't feel like I was giving anything back. You know, I, I wasn't doing what James is doing. He's a wealth manager. That takes a real talent. The outfit I was with, they were cowboys. They were stock jockeys. So um, it just, it didn't feel like I was giving anything back. After I saw my senior broker do some things that I didn't think were uh, as ethical as they should have been, I kind of bowed out and decided I had entrepreneurial streak and I kind of wanted to pursue that. So did some real estate and I had an energy drink company that I uh, co-founded and it kind of took me down a path. Um, I had my, my daughter. She's uh, going to turn three, actually, in the 22nd. Oh,
1: congratulations. So um,
10: yes. when I had my daughter, I decided I want to do something more with my life. My um, my mom was actually hit and killed by a drunk driver in 2010. So mm-hmm. it kind of put me on a dark path. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. You know, my whole world was upside down. And it wasn't until my daughter was born that I realized that, you know, I really wanted to make something myself to make my mom proud, to make her proud. And that's when I kind of sat down with myself internally and decided if I had to put my my life's effort towards something, what would I want it to be? So the environment is something I've always had an affinity for. i started doing some research. I found these companies that plant one dollar, one tree. I started reaching out to them, telling them, hey, listen, you know, I got this great idea. I think we can come up with this this marketing plan where you have a subscription to negate, you know, the average American's carbon footprint. And they all kind of like, yeah, that's great. But um. You know, we we do things the way we do things. So I I went through three or four programs like that with the same answer, kind of getting stonewalled. And uh, I came back to the first guy who was kind of like a a little bit of a mentor for me. And uh, he told me, listen, you sound really passionate. You're coming back to it. Why don't you start something on your own? At this point, I was a general manager of a restaurant. I saw all these people coming in trying to pitch us on crazy marketing ideas. So I said, you know, I think that we could have legs if we build an environmental rewards program where businesses can use their marketing dollars to appeal towards environmentalists and uh, plant trees on their behalf. And so that's what we're doing. Uh, Our phase two is to develop an environmental rewards program and uh, allow businesses to plant trees on their consumers behalf. The consumer can track it all through the app. And uh, instead of, you know, instead of planting those 16 trees and paying us 20 bucks a month to do it, just take your consumer behavior, Go to a business, reward a business that will reward you by planting some trees.
2: That's great, Ford. And how can people find you again, and what is your website?
10: Yeah, so uh, our website is forestfounders.org, F-O-R-E-S-T-F-O-U-N-D-E-R-S dot O-R-G. Uh, and at Forest Founders is our handle on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So you can look us up uh, any of those places.
2: Absolutely fantastic project. We wish you all the success, and Thank you. we hope to have you back after you've planted your millionth tree or something. Yeah,
10: maybe yeah. Uh, maybe we'll come back on the show when we're ready to launch the Environmental Rewards app. That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. And you can bring the squirrel again. (laughs) I mean, the squirrel. See more squirrels. The squirrel does have a day job, but uh, (laughs) every once in a while, he'll, he'll take some time off for me. That's great. You're listening
2: to Passage to Profit back after this.
5: There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearheartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson.
0: Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit.
5: They were nuts. (laughs) They were nuts.
2: We had some (laughs) squirrely presentations today. It's quite a variety.
1: (laughs) Maybe it was the gin.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So we've covered all bases tonight, that's for sure. Remember, everyone, to go to the Passage to Profit website now and vote for your favorite project. To summarize. Our
1: first pitch was Lorna Scott. With Inverosh Jin I-N-V-E-R-R-O-C-H-E dot C-O dot Z-A. Our second pitch was Ford Seaman and Seymour Squirrels with forestfounders.org. spelled just like it sounds. And even though you can't vote for them, I don't want to forget our guest in our executive spotlight. So Walter Kemp was our guest. He's at Walter Kemp2 on social media. And Mario Casabona has techlaunch.com or casabonaventures.com.
2: Now Google Passage to Profit and make your choice. Remember, you can only vote once and you have until next Friday at 10 a.m. to vote. The best overall vote getter for the show will receive a professionally produced video of their pitch, a $500 value.
1: And before we sign off... I do want to say thanks to everybody who came to the studio today. I know it's the middle of the day. You have to hike into Rebecca, and we really appreciate having you here. And It was really a
2: great show today, too. And people from New York, from South Africa, all over the world. And I want to say thanks again to Walter Kemp and also Mario Casabona
7: final thoughts, Mario? Both of the presentations were fantastic. Very well articulated. I wish both of them a lot of luck and I think they'll do, uh, both of them will do very well. We really do have to go now
1: but I do want to thank our media maven Kenya Gibson, our producer Noah Fleischman, Rob Barrett, our engineer who just came into the studio and the whole iHeart team. So don't forget to check out the podcast tomorrow and don't forget to join us next week for another excellent speaker and another round of pitchers and you can start thinking about what your pitch will be.
2: And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart from Gearhart Law on iHeartRadio with Passage to Profit, The Inventor's Show on WOR710, The Voice of New York.